0: Loved ones, what's going on? It's Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story, Season 2. We're calling this A Bigger Story, Season 2, The Sump Pump Sessions, because I'm in my basement. Last season, I was not in the basement. I recorded in a room that I thought the acoustics were a little better, except it meant that I was setting up and taking down all the equipment to record every time I needed to record, and I'm not doing that again. So I'm in the cavernous basement and there's a sump pump. We live about, oh, less than a mile from the Fox river runs from Wisconsin down through parts of Illinois. I think somehow it ends up in the, uh, Illinois river somewhere, I think anyway, we're close to that river and unbeknownst to us when we bought this house back in, what was that? 2007, 2008, it, uh, was constructed over an underground, an underground spring. And so the water table is really high under the houses on this street in our neighborhood. And I swear I will delete this podcast if we ever list this house. <laughs> Just saying. So anyway, it's been rainy. The, the sump pump on a good day, it could be like we could be in a drought and that sump pump is going to eject about every 20 minutes. Okay, I'm exaggerating. Maybe every 30 or 40 minutes in a drought. When it rains, it's every 20 minutes, if not every 10 minutes. I know it's crazy, right? We've ripped drywall in this basement. Well, let's see, 2008 to now, that's 14 years. We've had to rip the bottom part of drywall twice because of floods. Hopefully, we'll never have that again. And I really will now delete this podcast if we ever put the house up for sale. Not that I would be dishonest or anything. Of course not. So anyway, we're calling this uh, A Bigger Story Season 2, The Sump Pump Sessions, because that sump pump is going to go off sometime during the recording of this podcast. And I'm not stopping. I'm not editing. I'm not doing any of that. So if you hear the sump pump, consider it a professional production accoutrement. Okay? So... Season one, I just looked. Season one, we did 35 flipping episodes. 35. Oh, boy, was I struggling. I wasn't even really sure what I was supposed to be doing when I started season one. So anyway, um, I start doing the podcast, A Bigger Story, not the some Pump Sessions in season one, call them the Living Room Sessions, I guess. and. I got stuck in this like mini sermon mode, and they were pretty scripted. Very scripted, actually. And it was okay. But doing a little mini-sermons uh, is only a small part of what I really want to be about. I do value experiences that are more raw, extemporaneous. It's a different kind of authenticity, realness. And season one, 35 episodes. I did I did those daily monday through friday daily and that i don't know what i was thinking that was so stupid i can't sustain that kind of output and no one can and no one needs to hear my voice or anyone's voice that frequently so going forward season 2 of a bigger story the sun pump sessions is going to be a weekly podcast and thank god and you're welcome and so okay now with all that context set I also want to talk about what I've been struggling with in the time between season one and season two. And those are the questions of who and why. Who's this for? Well, I think season one was sort of kind of for me. And that's okay, because really there's nothing worse than a sermon that a preacher doesn't need to hear her or himself, his self, himself. Uh, and so, uh, There was a Roman Catholic priest and physicist and philosopher named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. It's French, as you could probably guess by my brilliant French pronunciation. (laughs) Anyway, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, he put it this way, the most particular is the most universal. So preaching, even a little mini sermon on a podcast can be a very selfish thing. But what you, what you trust is that if it's happening for you, the most particular, it's happening for a lot of other people too, the most universal. And so the more vulnerable you can be as a person who gives sermons, as a spiritual teacher or leader, the more vulnerable you can be, the more likely you're going to hit other people right in the heart and right between the eyes. Um, so who's this for? I think last season was kind of for me, and if it worked for you, I'm really, really thrilled. But this one, I really want to be for you. Um, so many loved ones, my loved ones, and the loved ones of the loved ones, you know I, how that iterates out. So many have shared with me sincere questions around spirituality. And among those loved ones are some of my very closest friends in the whole wide world. I almost get choked up thinking about it. And I, and honestly, until those COVID videos, I had no idea that I was one of the people that they looked to for spiritual guidance because some of us, I'm 60 and we've been friends for like almost 55 of those 60 years, that tight. Had no idea that I was one of the people that they looked to for spiritual guidance until those COVID videos. And I started hearing from them and then as I started to wind down uh, my time in Jacksonville and spent time with these very close friends and started hearing from them about their hopes for what I might do next. Also among those loved ones are my adult children, and they're not all the same in their spiritual outlooks in life. And I, account, I count among my adult children, uh, their spouses, their partners, and um, they're on different spiritual paths, all of them, and have questions. And sometimes look to even dear old dad for a hint or two, or at least some confirmation about what they're thinking about. And because I've been what sometimes get called gets called being co-vocational, I've had two vocations side by side: church and broadcasting, in radio broadcasting. I have had many loved ones who were and are broadcasting colleagues, who also have trusted me with their questions and their struggles. And some among them are atheists. And then, you know, I've always had like two parishes, two churches, wherever I was. And, you know, sometimes I thought that it'd be good if they could converge and be one, but it didn't typically work out that way. Uh, There was my parish, my church of people at the traditional church in the physical building And then there were other people who I got got to know sitting in their restaurants and their bars, their places of business, their dry cleaner stores, and they too became loved ones. And I think that love is mutual, also with questions. Some atheists, but like most human beings, uh, with some inclination that some kind of spiritual life or path would be helpful and that they were looking for some person or people out there who could offer some kind of trustworthy spiritual accompaniment that meets them where they are with zero agenda other than just to walk with them. People of other faiths who look for collegial connection with other spiritual leaders, for community, for honest spiritual dialogue, and then also People who still very much love their traditional churches and find meaning and community. Because um, some of those churches have some awesome spiritual leaders, and some of my closest friends and loved ones are in that category of still very much loving their churches and deeply valuing their spiritual leaders. And then and I've also got some friends who don't really get excited about going to church what they might hear from a pastor or a priest, but it's been part of the rhythm of their lives and they have this feeling like it should stay that way. So that's the who, all of the who, the people I just described, loved ones and loved ones of loved ones and so on and so on. And then there's the why. Simon Sinek is a guy who gave one of the most famous TED Talks When TED Talks were really super popular, and it was about the power of why, W H Y. And this is a quote from that talk that Simon Sinek gave People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. So I said, Who the who is, who the. A bigger story. Season two, the Sun Pump Sessions is four, and now the why, and that's what delayed the launch of season two. So I've been grinding on the why, and in one sense, the why is because of all those loved ones I just mentioned and their requests that I do something like this, and I wanted to. I love them, and I love that they value any kind of spiritual. Utterance, you know. Even if I, even if I hit the bullseye one out of a hundred times, that that one out of a hundred might land for a loved one. I, I value that. So part of the why is just to serve all my loved ones. But my ego is not that big, and I've got the imposter syndrome. So you have to keep telling me. Unfortunately, I'm needy. You have to keep telling me that it's serving him. But then, as I was grinding on the On the why, it got deeper and more specific, and it has to do with all the uh, division in our world, a division that includes this horrific war in the Ukraine uh, and this invading, yeah, Putin, Russia, that. So that kind of division and tragedy in our world political division in our own country, racial division in our country. And even within different sides of those divisions, um, even within the group of people who we all, you know, we, we think we're on the right side. Like, I think I'm a progressive I'm not quite so sure as I was, um, because some things that's passing for progressivism right now is kind of leaving me in the dust. So I think I just need to stop labeling myself entirely and, uh, just seek mutual understanding with as many people, um, As possible. And we, you know, if when labels are useful, great. But when they're not, we just transcend them. And um, I stumbled upon this podcast. I can't even remember where. I'll try to figure it out and post it in the show notes. And the interview was with this guy, Maurice Mitchell, who is the director, the executive director, I think is his title of the Progressive Working Families Party. I had no idea that there was a party called the Progressive Working Families Party. And there's this guy, Maurice Mitchell. And he rolled this phrase out that made so much sense to me relative to division in our country. And that phrase was the orthodoxy of maximalism. The orthodoxy of maximalism. And he defined it this way. This is Maurice Mitchell of the Progressive Working Families Party. The Orthodoxy of maximalism is, and now I'm quoting, consider- considering anything less, considering anything less than the most idealistic position as a betrayal of core values and evidence of corruption, cowardice, lack of commitment, or vision. Relatedly, a righteous refusal to engage people who do not already share our views and values. I'm going to do that again. The orthodoxy of maximalism is considering anything less than the most idealistic position as a betrayal of core values and evidence of corruption, cowardice, lack of commitment, or vision, and relatedly a righteous refusal to engage with people Who do not already share our views and values. And that's part of the division problem in our country right now, too, is you get a bunch of people in the room who are sincerely trying to learn, open to having their hearts changed and their minds changed. And so often these days, the people who control the microphone in those rooms just eviscerate people who aren't all the way there yet and that's the orthodoxy of maximalism and I don't think it helps wherever you fall on any issue if you are trying to influence others uh, the only way you're going to do that is by seducing them into a conversation and you have to change hearts before you change minds And so this division, this broken society is part of my why. I'd like to see it heal, improve, get better. And is our society in the West more broken than it's ever been ever? I don't know. I mean, we had a civil war. So I don't know if we're more broken than we've ever been. Are we uniquely broken as a society right now? I think so. Social media which was supposed to usher in a deeper, more effective, more accessible sense of the global village has really kind of just resulted in many people being more isolated than ever before and become just a platform for people to be meaner to each other than ever before. Keep reading and hearing uh, news stories about depression and anxiety, especially among teenagers and children, but also adults. And I know firsthand that in pretty much every community in the United States, every reputable therapist that could help somebody with anxiety and depression, they have waiting lists right now. And why are our teenagers and children suffering from depression and anxiety? And not only them, but also adults. See, this gets to my why now, another part of big part of my why, why I'm doing this uh, podcast and inviting you along for the journey. Um, why, why are there waiting lists? Because there are that many people suffering from depression and anxiety that the therapist can't handle it. And the reason for all this is multifactorial, to be sure. But there is one reason I know of, and this one is in my wheelhouse. And I am convinced that the breakdown in embodied community is part of the problem. The breakdown in embodied community is part of the problem. So as I'm thinking that, and pretty certain of that, I get this confirmation just yesterday. Today is Wednesday, March the 1st. So last day, February, Tuesday is the 28th. Yeah. And I'm listening to a podcast called the Ezra Klein show. Ezra Klein is a journalist and columnist for the New York times. I'll link to it in my show notes. You can listen to the podcast. It's, and then you won't listen to mine anymore because you'll think, Oh, Ezra is better. And in this podcast, he was interviewing Rachel Zofnis, who's a pain psychologist at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, and the author of the Pain Management Workbook. And her premise is that if we only understand and treat pain as purely a biomechanical thing, we're doing it wrong, that pain is also psychosocial, that emotional and mental health is involved, and it's also so it's about emotional and mental health. It's also about communal health and how well individuals are or aren't accessing community. She says there's an anxiety epidemic and that on the psychosocial part of that, we're not existing in communities and people aren't finding social connections and that our socializing and community building muscles are becoming sedentary. And she said in this interview with Ezra Klein, this is Rachel Zofness, she said the treatment for anxiety and depression is not just a pill. It's not just talking. It's not just co- like cognitive therapy with a psychotherapist. It's not, ju- it's not solved through social media interaction. That it requires for healing, this anxiety academic- epidemic requires embodied community. And so if this embodied community is apparently so essential, and I know in my gut that it is, and COVID broke it, and political and racial division is breaking it, at least the parts where we expose ourselves to different points of view and learn and have useful conflict and grow from the useful conflict, grow in our understandings, grow in our practices of grace and forgiveness. Or at least grow in terms of remembering that people are more than their points of view and what they post on social media. And if you couple all of that with the way that Christianity in the West has spiraled into irrelevancy, not everywhere, not every church. So pastors who are listening, don't get mad at me, but it's demonstrable that Christianity in the West is spiraling into irrelevancy. Church life, and I imagine synagogue life, mosque life, temple life. And so those natural places where community has traditionally happened have been declining and going away. There are radically less of them, radically less participation in them. And COVID didn't cause that, it just accelerated it. And then As I'm grinding on this why for this podcast, why do it, I stumble on this little book called The Disappearance of Ritual by a guy named Byung Chul Han, who's a Korean philosopher and cultural theorist living and teaching in Germany. So you think about that. A Korean philosopher and cultural theorist living and teaching in the German academy. That's quite a combination. And he's a, I think he's characterized really as a conservative philosopher. And in this little book, The Disappearance of Ritual, he says that authentic embodied healthy community. Uh, he acknowledges that in many ways it's been more ideal than real. And so often in Western society that we've had community without real communication he stipulates all that but he says it's gotten worse now and that what we have today is communication without community communication without community community that is sustained by gathering in real life community that is sustained by the rituals that those communities develop which he says stabilize life and so he says the relationship to the world that we have By the way, that community, real embodied gathering of community and the rituals that sustain it, that whatever relationship to the world we've had through those things is increasingly lost. So, my friends, this is my why. This is what I care so deeply about. Community, virtual community, online community. Is great. It's more than great. I love it. I take advantage of it. It's useful. I think hybrid would be much better. I'm not looking at it as an either or that we need to jettison online virtual community for embodied community. Um, Hybrid, not either or, both and hybrid. I think we need to figure that out and that we're not going to be okay until in addition to sustaining these virtual ways of doing community online in digital space, that we're not going to be okay until we can figure out some way to recover embodied community, communication that happens within community, because communication without community, turns out, is really, really bad for us. Saw a friend in Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago, and he had a fairly, like, I think, like a month long work assignment in the Philippines. And he showed Maureen and I pictures of swimming with whale sharks. And uh, we were like, You swam with whale sharks? The combination of whale and shark really kind of like, yeah, we were like, Okay, good for you. That would not be, we're not that adventurous. So um, it turns out that whale sharks really don't attack or bite people. Thank God, because we wouldn't have been there with our friend. At the Brick in Jacksonville, shout out to one of my favorite restaurants. And uh, so he's showing us these pictures of these whale sharks. And and he said that the way that they get the sharks to kind of gather so that the tourists can jump off the boat and swim with them is they chum the water. Like with, you know, dead fish, you know, dead bloody fish. And it reminded me of this book, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. And I told you this is a raw and mostly off the cuff uh podcast season two. So I don't have the authors. I'll have to post it in the show notes. But it was called Blue Ocean Strategy. You could also Google it. And in this book, they made the distinction between red oceans and blue oceans. Red oceans are the industries and organizations that are already in existence today. The known market space for something. And so it's, it's the ocean that it's red oceans because they're all chummed up. Everybody's already fighting for every inch of the red ocean. And in spiritual life, in church world, most of the theo, theo, most of the theologians and so in spiritual life and church world most of the theologians and pastors and coaches who i see using social media to reach out build a clientele it's not just about that for them they have their why too they really care trying to help churches and church leaders most of them seem kind of stuck in red ocean Uh, in the market space that's always existed for church world. And I know market space isn't the best term for spiritual endeavor, but it is what it is. So I've noticed that many really good-hearted and really smart people, smarter than me, they're serving churches and church leaders in this red ocean. And I think, struggle somewhat with that because I think the future is not in that red ocean, the future for recovering embodied community. Um, COVID just accelerated people leaving churches. and I've seen some stats saying that attendance is going up in certain kinds of churches, but for the most part, a lot of those folks aren't coming back. I don't think the red ocean is the solution for recovering embodied community and then stepping back from that to those other premises about anxiety and depression and division and brokenness and healing all that through embodied community as a hybrid part of both and part so that there's communication with real community. It's going to be in the blue oceans. The blue oceans are the places where industries, organizations are not in existence yet. It's the unknown market space. That's why it's the blue ocean. It's the little part of the ocean that's left, or maybe the big vast part of the ocean that's left, that's still pristine, that no one's swimming in yet. And so this really goes deeply to my why of wanting to be part of the solution of healing the brokenness, the division, the anxiety, the depression The losing our children to all of this anxiety and depression and demoralizing them when they see us older people caught in all this ugly division, that if we're going to somehow get into a place where embodied community can be part of what serves them and heals them, it's not going to be in the red ocean. It's going to be in the blue ocean. I have a friend, a Facebook friend, Feels a lot more than just a Facebook friend. And I have another friend who described Facebook today as where millennials go to have conversations with their grandparents. And, you know, he far exceeds me in snark (laughs) ability. Yeah. So, anyway, um, this, my Facebook friend, uh, and I feel like we have gone into some deep territory with each other. And I think that she's like a living mystic. In a lot of ways, she probably throttled me for saying that. Her name is Jacqueline Brown Williams, spiritual teacher, a pastor, a minister. And um, she posted on Facebook the other day that her son had said, You all know mom is a bit strange. And she laughed. And then she said, She wrote this Is it strange? when I get more divine inspiration outside the body of Christ than inside? Is it strange when I'm closer to God looking at nature? Is it strange when God is closer and speaking more closely when I'm in a restaurant or the mall? Is it strange that God never stops talking until I do walk into church to worship? Let me repeat that one. Is it strange that God never stops talking until I do walk into church to worship? You see, God and I have constant communication, she writes, even when I sleep. I don't go to church to hear from God. I go to church to bow down and worship and say thanks for being able to hear you, feel you, taste you, see you, and smell the sweetest fragrance of your presence continually in everything. Thank you for a mind to give thanks through worship. Am I strange? She asks, question mark, question mark. And then all caps and exclamation points. Praise God. Yes, I am. God bless you, Jaqua. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said about church, it's not the place you go to, it's the place you go from. Another spiritual mentor, uh, just through his writings and his talks for me, his father, Greg Boyle, he's a Jesuit priest in LA who leads Homeboy Industries, the world's largest gang intervention program, 15,000 people walk through their doors each year to get free of the darkness and violence of gang life. Father Greg says we go from our churches, our places of worship, we go from here to stand at the margins like Jesus did, which is the only way those margins ever get erased. We go to stand at the margins with the poor the voiceless, with those whose dignity has been denied and those whose burdens are more than they can bear. We go to stand with the despised, the left out, the demonized, so that the demonizing will stop. I'd add to that we go to stand with the anxious and the depressed, the isolated, It's a blue ocean strategy. It's saying that whatever our notion of like a theological Christian term like salvation might be, it's not so much this individualized pie in the sky and the great by and by when I die, that it's communal and that it's not then only, but that it's also now and that you know it when you see people growing into radical kinship with one another. And Greg Boyle says it's that radical kinship, that oneness, that that's the vision that ties us all together. And that becomes really, really, really clear for us that the circle of compassion expands through us and with us to include so many others that, Fewer and fewer are left outside the circle, and that's what we do to achieve this radical kinship. And so, like to my church friends and colleagues who are in the Red Ocean and working in the Red Ocean, I want to encourage you, too. I'm not criticizing what you do at all because it's working for some people. And I also think that the viable way into the future is not by trying to entice people in the blue ocean to come swim in the red ocean. It's figuring out how those in the red ocean who really care about radical kinship can learn to swim authentically in the blue ocean, to go from the red ocean to the blue ocean, not the other way around, and not with an agenda to get people to swim on the red ocean side of the rope But just because there are people in the blue ocean, and the blue ocean is a really wonderful, expansive, amazing, mystical place to be. And when you and I figure out how to do that, that's when you are the hero of this story and your own story. Well, the sun pump never went off. This was a lot longer than the rest of the episodes will be, I promise. Goes along with not writing a script. It just goes longer. Remember, you are loved. For now, here's my email Pastor Bruce Cole at gmail.com. Use that one Pastor Bruce Cole at gmail.com. A new episode drops every Wednesday. You are loved. Night swimming deserves a quiet night. Taken years ago, turned around backwards so the windshield shows. Every street light reveals a picture in reverse. Still, it's so much clearer. I forgot my shirt at the water's edge. The moon is low tonight. Swimming